and I'm very structured. Um, and so a strategy and like being proactive and prepared is kind of like my thing. And so thinking of it more of like an art versus a science, it's very interesting, right? Because I think that you get to know your partners, you get to know their skill sets. And some of them already know these are the skill sets I have. And some of them are still discovering what they look like. Hey there, like. I am Dr. Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast, where we explore the why behind success. Every week, I meet with real estate investors, veterinary entrepreneurs, mindset coaches, authors, and fitness professionals to uncover their why and how it drives them on the winding road to success. What is your why? Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with Paula Nichols. Paula is a real estate professional with experience in project and organizational management, investment analysis, and contract negotiations. Paula and her husband, Jonathan, began investing in real estate in 2018. So, um, Paula, I'm going to stop there. Um, as I mentioned before we started recording, my voice isn't quite there. So, First of all, let me just say thank you for coming on the show today. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, Jason, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Looking forward to this conversation. Um, let's just start by by getting your background. Tell us about yourself. Tell us, you know, kind of what got you into real estate and, and we'll kind of take it from there. Yeah. So I was actually born in Colombia. And in 2006, my family and I moved to the United States with political asylum. And so uh, we always had the dream to own at home. And when we moved to the States, um, a little, a few years later, I was, I became my mom's uh, real, you know, real estate agent. And so I was the one sourcing the home for her. I kept getting the mail over, you know, and making sure I was signing up for all of the available homes. And so that was at age 15. That's where my passion for real estate really sparked. Um, I was very genuinely good at finances and budgeting and doing all these things at an early age. Um, and so later on, I decided to go to college, get a degree in finance. And that's where I met Jonathan. And I think that we got married in 2017 and we read about, you know, real estate uh, through many books. And that became our hobby. And it all started with a hobby that rekindled that passion for real estate that I had at an early age. And so late 2017, early 2018, we decided to make it, you know, a more formal, not less of a hobby, more of a formal uh, way of living and way of doing work. And so we decided to become full-time real estate investors after investing in small multi and single family homes. And so um, that's a little bit brief conversation, like brief summary of, of my story, uh, but um, we now love multifamily. We've been working uh, in Applegee Capital. It's our, the name of our company or multifamily syndication uh, firm. And we opened that early in 2019. And uh, since then have been able to purchase, you know, as GPs over 400 units, uh, in Texas and Oklahoma, and we are really excited to continue to invite investors alongside with us. That's awesome. Um, interesting to have that, you know, sort of background at such a young age, uh, you know, working in real estate with, you know, with your mother helping, helping find house. So you <clears throat> were interested in finance, you know, sort of sounds like right from the beginning, you went to college for that. What do you, as as you and Jonathan were forming Apogee Capital, you know, I think a lot of times um, people have, as you form partnerships, whether that's with, you know, a life partner or, or business partner, 
their people are going to have different roles. So was yeah. what, what was your role? What did you kind of take on, you know, sort of what, what responsibilities have you had within the business? Yeah. Uh, to be frank, it all started like it was commingled, right? We didn't have our own swim lanes. We were both doing everything together. Um, and as we uh, transitioning to make it a business, we realized that, you know, my background also after doing finance, I went into management consulting. And so organizational management, is kind of my thing. And I, it was, it was multiple conversations with Jonathan of like, okay, you're good at this and I'm good at this. How do we stay on each other, like out of each other's swim lanes? Um, and it, it honestly was a very organic transition, right? I thought that because I'm a finance major, I know like modeling, I know underwriting, like that I'll transition to be, that that will be my main role. But in reality, Jonathan is an aerospace engineer. He's really great at numbers and he really enjoys the spreadsheets. And I really enjoy the business development, the relationship, more on the operation system development. And so uh, we've transitioned into that. He's more on the acquisition side. Um, and I am more on the business development, investor relationships, as well as the asset management. And so um, I think that we both found our own strengths and also complementing each other. I think that we both have similar yet different personalities and skill sets. And so I think it has been very complementary. Yeah. And I like how you sort of mentioned that at the beginning it was commingled because I think that's that's kind of normal, right? In business, it's like, a lot of times people form partnerships. They're like, oh, I, li I like this person. I just want to kind of get into <laughs> get into a deal. I want to do some business together. I like this person. Let's let's whatever it is, we, even if even if we're not talking real estate, but then yeah. you find out what everybody's good at, what their strengths are, how they, um, you know, work well with within the components. And so it's, it's an interesting um, conversation to have. And, and I think so many people talk about you should have these conversations ahead of time and figure this all out before you get into a partnership with someone. And I think it's a little bit different when you're doing that mm -hmm. with someone that you're married. But like, I also think it's probably hard to have it exactly laid out ahead of time, kind of in whatever scenario it is. Did, yeah, did it, it really is. It really is. And I think it's almost like a dance. And I'm very structured. Um, and so a strategy and like being proactive and prepared is kind of like my thing. And so thinking of it more of like an art versus a science, it's very interesting, right? Because I think that you get to know your partners, you get to know their skill sets. And some of them already know these are the skill sets I have. And some of them are still discovering what they look like, you know, as they applied in the multifamily side of things, right? And so I think between Jonathan and I was a lot of um, leaning on each other, but also letting the other person shine. I think that um, as we have partnered with other people outside of, you know, just Jonathan and I, we've learned that there are times to lead and there are times to follow and there are times to speak up and times to be quiet. And so I think that it's almost like a dance, right? You're going to step on each other's toes at times, but as long as you pick it up and you learn from that, I think that um, that's kind of the key to success. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So if you're you're focusing on you know kind of investor relations and and is business plan management so that that's you're talking really kind of the asset management after after acquisition you're involved in that side of things 
Yes, yes. And so kind of working with the property management uh, to make sure that we're executing the business plan accordingly. Um, so that has been a lot of fun. And um, we have a short-term rental business where I'm also involving the operations of it more on the kind of director level. And so I'm very distant from it, but it's it's really cool to continue to implement those lessons learned from our other business into um, our multifamily business. Yeah, absolutely. What do you, how do you manage it in, in the sense, like there's a lot, there's a lot going on people maybe that don't, uh, haven't done asset management before and in, in short-term rental can maybe be even more involved because if you're having a higher level of turnover, but how do you kind of balance that and keep, you know, you said you're sort of high level at this point, but, but what does your day-to-day look like? What does your role look like in all of that? Yeah. So before I answer that question, my previous job to being multifamily, right? So I did management consulting and then I went to work for a developer here in the Dallas Fort Worth area where I live. And in that, you know, during those three, four years that I worked there, I got to work with a lot of asset managers at a uh, private equity firms. And so I got to see what they did, what questions they asked about our assets. Um, And so it was for me, very informative. And it, you know, it was just a great um, educational process to learn from private equities and how they handle the asset management. Mm-hmm. And so again, I think that it is a part of science and a part of art, right? Like I am managing people, I'm managing the property management. And so I think that really setting the clear expectations of what those are and making sure that we together come um, you know, both those expectations and that there is that weekly accountability as of what reports are we going to be reviewing together and what changes are we making together. So we are a partner. Um, and so I really like to engage in those conversations with the property management of like, okay, these are the expectations that we both are coming, you know, coming up with. This is the accountability piece, right? What happens if you don't meet those, you know, milestones or expectations? And then on a weekly basis, let's review those so that we are both, you know, proactively um, addressing any issues. And so I, I see it a lot as like a, a management, you know, if you have ever led a team, it's it's having those kind of soft skills. Um, but, you know, keeping it very, very clear, having reports, having spreadsheets uh, to make sure that, that they're, you know, that everything is clear. Yeah. And I, I think the, that's a great point, but I, I want to, maybe you can get a little more detailed about, you know, yeah. sort of what markers are you talking about? What, you know, you said, what, these are the, the um, KPIs that we're trying to hit that kind of thing. And these are the accountability points what are you using for each of those really to have these conversations with your uh, property management? Because I think this is like a, a lot of the, the the programs, a lot of what you might see on social media, it, it's a lot geared towards acquisition, right? Acquisition mm-hmm. or capital raising, which are incredibly important parts, but those are actually like, those are the short-term things, right? Yeah. The acquisition, the capital raise, that might be 45, 60, maybe 90 days, but then the asset management is years. So what are you, you know, what are you doing looking at uh, KPIs and communicating to your property management? And then what are you doing for, you know, sort of accountability steps? Yeah. um, So to be transparent on the first couple of these that we joined, we were not the asset managers. So it has been a really great experience to see how other people are doing it. Um, And then 
recently we joined a masterclass to be like it's called ace operators and so here we're meeting with all these other great operators to ensure that we are executing the latest and greatest strategies on managing multifamily and so i think that I want to clarify that to everyone that there is still there is always like room for improvement. And so for us, executing the business plan is so important because as you said, if we focus on the acquisition and then the business plan is not executed, you're not going to be able to get the returns that you had projected at the beginning of the project. And so for us, like the KPIs that we look at are, you know, most people probably know occupancy and then the lease up, right? the turnover, how long is it taking them to turn over the units? Um, and then um, I would say that for us is like what retention we have, right? So we want to be able to retain as many people as possible. And so really coming up with creative ideas on having events on a monthly basis so that we're creating that community. Um, a lot of like, or why at Apogee is to be able to, for people to leave their calling. And so we want that for our residents as well. And so how do we create that sense of community um, in a way that it benefits them because they don't have to move, they get to kind of set their roots here. And then also for us, it helps us because uh, we don't have to turn over units as quickly and spend all that money on CapEx. And so it really looks like um, an hour meeting on a weekly basis um, and going over these specific KPIs, right? Like from an occupancy perspective, turnover, uh, delinquency, uh, delinquency is one of them too. Um, in our current property, um, we don't really face a lot of that being an issue, but I do know that um, it is an issue in other projects. And so I think that going over those key numbers are very important um, and setting goals. And so, for example, if right now you are at 80% occupied, let's set a goal that's attainable by next week, right? So maybe it's not 100% by next week, but it's 85. And right. so how do we get that? And, and we really, I get into the nitty gritty, like, what are we doing to get, you know, we have 40 units that need to be leased. What do you need from me? I've thought about X, Y, Z. What have you thought about? Okay, let's implement it. Do you need, you know, do you need flyers? Do you need whatever it is that they need? It's how can I help them? but also I'm going to hold them at a high standard because we do need to ultimately execute on the business plan. Yeah. Does yeah, that no. answer your question? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great um, start. I will expand because I think <laughs> these are really important points, but your, um, your point about resident retention, and I think it gets, you know, kind of overlooked um, and, and there's a balance, right? Because you want uh you want to retain residents that are, you know, they, they're, they're paying on time, they have a, um, you know, good relationship with the community, that kind of thing, you, you want to retain residents. But there's also that balance of, well, if these particular units are well under market rent, how are you going to decide how much to increase on a renewal while still re retaining that good? And, and I think you said before, that it's a you know an art as much of a science. How do you how do you balance that? How do you you know kind of look at retention and occupancy and kind of bring that all together? Yeah, I really think that it depends on what phase of your business plan you're in. So if we're just starting on a property and our you know day one of execution is to bring rents out by two hundred dollars because we're going to be doing renovations on all of the units then that means that unfortunately, we're not gonna be able to renew the leases as they expire, right? And we're gonna try to, um, in a way that works with our 
property management and GC, we're going to be able to phase them out so that we can and have the time to, you know, turn them over, do the uh, CapEx projects in the units and then uh, lease them up. And so if it's at the beginning of the business plan, and that's where business plan is to completely renovate the interior of the units to lease them at a higher rent, which is a very standard business plan in a value add multifamily deal, then we're probably not going to want the residents to stay at least at the same, you know, unit. And so what we offer is like, hey, if you love this community, just so you know, you may be moved to another unit in the meantime, while we renovate this unit and we bring a new guest, a new um, uh, resident to live in the, the new unit with the updated rent. Now, in one of our projects, uh, when our like, complete marketing or strategy wasn't to renovate the interior of the units, it was to that when we purchased it, the market rents were quite low because it was being, you know, ran by uh, like an individual. And so we just enhanced the marketing of that property and just very organically were able to bring rents up. And so in that case, we wanted some people to just stay and be okay with the increase in rent. And we did. We had a good I think like a 30, 40% retention. And for us, that was a win because when you're going to be, you know, your rent is increasing by $200 and you're not really experiencing a benefit, most people are going to be right. like, oh, I'm okay, I'm going to move. And so it really depends on your business plan and the phase that you're in. Um, but ultimately, once you hit those really, the rent growth that you want it, you probably want to keep them, yeah, right? Like year two, three, you want them to stay so you're not having to turn over those units all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's it's a great point. The um, it's interesting. You, you know, you mentioned the the dance, the partnership dance, but I think this is is a similar thing where it's you're absolutely right. Whatever whatever phase you're in, in the beginning, sometimes the business plan is to kind of go in and, and renovate as many units as you possibly can to you know sort of really bump those rents up. But over time, you want to stabilize it and and keep that that balance right. there your and it does depend on on the project and and it also depends on probably the market cycle and the the um the month of the of, year that's important to you right, exactly <laughs> yeah because the you know the leasing le not a lot not a lot of people want to move in in like december january time so right. it's not a great time to sort of get everybody out because you're not going to be able to get people back in so you do have to look at a lot of different factors and the I always look at asset management as kind of three different components. There's that, you know, sort of construction management. If you're doing a value add project, like you, like you mentioned, there's the, the leasing side of things um, that we've been talking about here a little bit as far as how to balance that. And then to me, the, the third part is just that the, the financial component, the financial modeling. And, and, and that's really what connects the two sides, right? It's like you're spending money, to improve the property, but you've also got to figure out, you know, through your leasing, how to continue to generate revenue and, and, and ideally sort of increase that decrease expenses overall. So, right. It's what, like a really domino effect to Jason, just to corroborate what you're saying, because if you're just in the construction side and you're like, well, I think that this, you know, unit is going to look beautiful if we put backsplash and new countertops and all of these beautiful things. And I love interior design, don't get me wrong. I wanna make a product that's beautiful, but if you put all of these finishes that do not match your community and the type of resident that you're attracting, 
then you're not going to be able to get those rents because that's what your your comps are not putting that right you're not going to be able to get those rents or that premium that you need to support those improvements and you have to remember that the money that you're spending on these improvements you it's equity or debt and so you're paying interest or you're paying you know in or revenue to your to your uh investors and so you have to make money in in whatever you're putting into the unit and so i think having that financial mindset as well will help you choose the right finishes and communicate that to the construction manager and making sure that they have a timeline uh as of when they're going to complete that so yeah no i completely agree i think that that um it's easy to get caught up in you know i want to make everything beautiful and top of the line and if i do that then that'll mean that our rents go up you know x amount of dollars and but it it again we we mentioned there's a lot of factors that go into it and so it's a you may not be in a location that supports you know backsplashes and and ceiling fans and whatever you know things you might Mm -hmm. see the 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 nice stuff that they do on hgtv like it's not (laughs) you have to remember you're not it's not a custom home building project it's a it's a uh value add you know multifamily investment portfolio and so there yeah. is a different um approach to that and so do you do a lot of testing in terms of you know level of finishes with your how do you how do you decide i guess how much uh how, how far to go with those renovations yeah no that's a great question i think that one, it's comps. Again, you you definitely don't want to just copy paste what your competitors are doing, but you definitely want to walk the competitors to understand what 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 are you know residents appreciating and what are they willing to pay for X. And so I think walking those competitor uh, competitor company or properties will help you understand what the standard is in that area. Um, but we have had the luck that in the other property, in our previous like three deals. A lot of them had like proof of concept already before they sold. And so we kind of knew what the premium finishes would look like in our units because they had already proven that concept. And for us, it made it a very safe investment in a way uh, because we had proof not only from our competitors, but within our own building that we were already leasing for a premium if we brought it up to X finishes. And so we we had that going for us. Yeah. That's a great point. Sometimes it's already been sort of proven out for you when you take over, or maybe even better, you have if you're you've got multiple assets in a market, so you kind of yes. know what you're doing. If you're you know doing these projects at one asset, you know what's happening. You know the resident base. You know what it costs you to get these you know units completed, and now you're buying locally again. You're essentially creating your own comps, and I think that's yes. a a really great position to be in and why a lot of people might, um, you know, sort of focus on, on a small number of markets. Yeah. And one example that I can think of is we have um, 75 townhomes in College Station, Texas, built in 2012. And so if you were to go look at them up, they have, you know, granite countertops that very nice, but it's like brown wood cabinets. And so it's a very nice property, but if you look at it, it's a little bit, it's starting to look outdated because it, it looks like 2010s and not 2023. And one like exit strategy that I was discussing with Jonathan is like, how do we 
elevate one unit, make it look more modern, and you know, as we get ready to exit. And so again, that's more like a, a futuristic goal. But whenever we get ready to exit, I would love to test the waters to see, you know, if we if we improve, if we make it look fresher, would you know, can we increase our rents and in a way set that up for the exit um strategy? And so yeah, yeah. And so then you're I think what you're saying is you're you're effectively doing what we just talked about for the next owner, right? You're yeah. you're demonstrating, okay, here, if we do this, you you bring it up, you know, if it already has solid surface countertops, maybe you're now gonna reface the cabinets and paint them or something like that, add right. a backsplash, whatever it might be, to that next level, modernize it and then say, okay, what are we able to get for lease at you know what what yep. how much of a premium is you are you going to get for that unit and then say okay now here if i sell this you'll be able to do that in the remaining units and achieve the same exactly thing. because then at that point you're selling the opportunity of value to the next buyer and usually i mean probably not this year but like two years ago, that was probably big team in your performa and people would be willing to pay for that opportunity, you know, to come in. And so um, that's just some kind of thoughts I've had on on that specific property. Yeah. And I, the point that you just made, Paula, about two years ago, people would have, <laughs> they would have paid for that kind of in advance and, and uh, probably not the case right now. So I think it, it's a good point to talk about you know kind of where we are in the market cycle maybe some of the shifts that you've made in terms of you know business plans exit strategies that sort of thing and and how that how that looks you know sort of for the future i'm not asking you to predict what happens <laughs> with the market but more like what what do you what do you see you know has your strategy changed and, and how do you see it go going you know in the coming year or two yeah, I think like retrospectively, the one thing that I keep telling my friends, investors and partners is like debt is a sharp knife. Um, and so, you know, the past two years, you know, people were using bridge loans and that seemed to be like the big pain point for a lot of deals today. Right. Um, and so now with the interest rate rising and, you know, it becoming harder to refinance at a more decent interest rates based on their underwriting. Um, I think that that has caused a lot of um, challenges to a lot of operators. Um, for us, we have been lucky, blessed, however, you know, where all of our deals were on fixed debt. Um, and so that helped our DSCR you know, be met without issues and all of our properties are performing, you know, to or up, you know, above performa, but I feel like we're seeing a lot of operators being challenged with the with the interest rates piece, and I mean, many of them are friends of mine too, and so it's how are they going to be able to react? And a lot of people, so not you know, lenders and different you know folks have said that there is a wave of opportunity coming up at the end of this year or beginning of next year where some of these loans will be due. And unfortunately, um, sellers will have to sell at a discount in order to not get foreclosed on. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't think, I cannot tell you if that's true or not. 
Uh, but I think that there is a lot of folks kind of standing on the sidelines waiting for that wave to come in. Um, sellers today, based on their loan terms, are still able to say, no, I'm not going to give you a discount. Not yet. I'm going to wait and see. Um, and so I think that we are in this kind of weird situation today where we're just, you know, waiting for the right time. Um, I will say that for us, we pride in being very conservative, probably, you know, some folks may say like too conservative, uh, but we, we pride on being conservative just because again, a lot of our investors are friends and family, and we want to make sure that preserving capital is like our number one goal. Um, and so we see opportunity coming and we're hopeful for that opportunity. Um, deals are harder this time to be frank. And so uh, we haven't, you know, we closed a deal a couple months ago, but we're actively looking for the next. And so um, that's kind of where, what I see or what I've heard at least. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's, yeah, I, the debt being a sharp knife, that it's a great point because that has been, that that's been the real thing, right? That's the source of pain here that that um, and and opportunity due to that pain is is what people are talking about is because essentially if your debt is coming due now, and especially if it was short term, and so you bought you know a year ago, two years ago, and on a on bridge debt, you're going to have some probably difficult decisions to make here, you know, in the next year, and it's if you can figure out a way to to ride it out then you know again real estate is is a long-term play so it's it you never you don't necessarily it's like it's like when the stock market goes down right you don't you right. don't actually lose anything unless you sell and right. so you know, you hang on and then it comes back up and it, it, you know, goes, goes above and beyond where it was before. So it's kind of like that, that's what a market cycle is. And so it's just being, um, I guess, in the right position. Uh, and and it, it makes, it, it makes the point of how important debt is. And a lot of people, it, you know, all of that bridge debt that that's out there, it isn't because that's what people necessarily wanted to do. It's mm -hmm. because that was kind of, in a lot of ways, the only way deals were getting done. There was mm -hmm. just because of the market cycle, it's, you know, we had, uh, I think, lender, I've heard anywhere from 80 to 90% of the deals that were being done were, were done on bridge debt. So yeah, it is very lucky if you got in, you know, long-term debt uh, and at a low interest rate, and, and now you have the opportunity to sell as an assumable loan. So it just, I think it's taking things like this and like learning those lessons that that's the best thing that you can do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And for us, just as we're, you know, in this part of the cycle, we actually passively invested in a deal where, you know, they had a bridge loan and that was very, very early in our multifamily journey. And we were so excited because we knew of this person and we knew of this operator and we looked at the numbers high level and we didn't think about the bridge loan, the impact that it could have if interest rates rise. 
And so we actually are putting together like a one-on-one class for passive investors so that they can ask the right questions before investing passively. And so we're launching that class on October 16th. But as part of that class, there is an article that CBRE posted in 2020 that talks about like how to protect yourself on a downturn, you know, cycle and specifically for value add. And one of the recommendations is, you know, make sure that when you're looking at like your debt that you're cash flowing, that you're covering the DSCR ratio substantially. And so I just think that there is a lot of lessons learned, you know, that if we can keep them at the front of our mind, um, it can ensure that we don't, you know, fall for that again, or that we are more careful, at least recognizing the risk uh, before going in. So. Yeah, hundred percent agree. It was, I mean, we had the last few years have have been, you know, a number of sort of, once in history type of things. We had a pandemic, we had uh, the, the interest rates have never risen this much this quickly ever yeah. in the history of, of yeah. you know, the history of interest rate. <laughs> I don't know exactly how to say that, but but so a lot of things happened that would uh, no one would have seen coming. But, exactly. but if you look at it from a very basic standpoint of, well, knowing that this has happened and things that you never saw coming, came then you can you know use that information going forward in you know future deals and and use that to to continue to uh be have success in real estate so i think that's that's a really 100 and to allude to your why jason right like we all are individuals with different risk appetite and let me tell you some people who invested in bridge loan deals did extremely well Right. So it doesn't mean that bridge loans is, you know, a bad word or something like that. It's just sometimes we don't get to time it the, the, the way that we want to. And so um, many, many people, you know, made substantial amount of returns through bridge, bridge loans. And not only that, I strongly believe that multifamily and real estate continues to be a great, you know, tool to grow your wealth. Um, it's just what questions to ask, right? To kind of lessons right. learned to carry on yeah yeah you just you just need to understand what in in that it's a great point lots of people made a lot of money on you know using bridge debt and and if you don't have bridge debt and you have a long-term loan and you want to exit early there's a fee so it costs money to exit mm-hmm. unless you can have it a suit so it's it's not as simple as I, I, I'm glad right. you said that because I don't want people to think like, oh, you should just never use bridge debt. Like there's, there are reasons to use it. And um, it's just being kind of aware of what the potential consequences are. That's really what it comes down to and, and really understanding the the market cycle, your project, all of how it all ties in to, together is so important. And then and then just recognizing that the idea is that real estate is meant to be a long-term investment. So you're, although people made a lot of money in a short time over these last few years, that is not the norm. And mm-hmm. that's not really what we should expect. We should expect to have these <laughs> up and down cycles and and we ride them out so that we can kind of succeed on the long term, on the long term. So <clears throat> I think that was, that was a great point about um people have been very successful with bridge debt. So um, important things to understand. Paula, let me switch gears. I want to get to ask you the questions I like to ask every guest. The first one is, of course, um, based on the name of the show, but what is your why? What's what's driving you, um, you know, towards bigger and bigger success? 
Yes. Um, so if you know me, I'm actually like a really passionate person. And I don't know if it's because I'm Colombian and that's just like, oh, my family's passionate. But I remember being in corporate America and a lot of my mentors asking me like, why are you so excited about this? Like, what are you going after? And I'm just like, I don't know. I wake up every morning and I want to be passionate about whatever I'm doing. Um, and I think that it took me a few years to really identify what my calling was. And, you know, you may call calling your why, your purpose. Um, but once I identify my purpose, I wanted to make sure that I dedicated my life to pursue my purpose. And so, you know, at Apogee, part of our mission is that we exist to empower people to pursue their calling. Um, and so in our case, for Jonathan's and I, purpose is that we want to share this opportunity of multifamily syndications and, you know, real estate investments so that people can have the resources and the time to go pursue that calling without any limitation. And so I feel like that is our big, big why. Um, we like to do that while having fun. So, you know, Jonathan and I are about to go travel to Europe for a month and we're going to work remotely. We like the freedom that this job gives us. It gives us a lot of stress at times, but it gives us a lot of freedom at times. And so um, that really is our why. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and it sounds like an amazing vacation. So enjoy that. Um, tell us something about yourself that isn't common knowledge, special skill, a hobby, something to let listeners know you a little better. Uh, that's, that's a good question. Um, I guess a fun fact, I, you know, I was raised in Colombia, as I said earlier, I hated English class. I was great at all the other classes, like, you know, math and science and whatever, but English was the hardest thing. And I remember talking to my parents and being like, I'm never going to use this. Why do I have to learn English? And it was really hard when I moved to the States, I was 12 years old and it was definitely a challenge to adapt. Um, but I would like to say that I am now fluent and <laughs> it took many years. Um, and so I don't know, I think that people don't realize how hard it is to learn a new language. And for me, it was the biggest hurdle when I moved to the United States. So I mean, your English is excellent. So I don't, I, I'm surprised by that, but, uh, yeah, I, I do recognize how hard it is to learn another language because I don't know one. And so I always feel <laughs> like I would uh I would like to to learn uh other languages and it it it's super challenging especially if you're not learning them as a as a child I think child brains are more able to kind of accept uh new languages and things but um yeah I would I wouldn't have expected to hear that you had a problem with that based on this conversation so um when people hear this and they want to reach out to you what's what's the best way yeah, so we have a website, apogeemfc.com. Um, I actually briefly mentioned it before, but we have a class launching in, on October 16th. And so if you would like to come and watch our class, it's going to be super fun, super short and informative. Um, and so you can go to our website, apogeemfc.com. And then our emails can be shared as well. I'll share it with Jason so he can put it on the notes. Yeah, and we'll put all of that in the show notes. And I think probably be pretty good timing as to when this this episode will come out will be right around the time that your class goes live so that's awesome um final question for you paula excuse me sorry um final question what piece of advice would you give to someone who is wanting to get started in real estate they hear this they're inspired by your story what would you tell them to get to motivate them to get going learn and take action i know it's kind of two but 
I would set a timeline of learning. Okay, I'm going to learn something for a month, four weeks, X hours a day or X hours a week. And then say, after those four weeks, if I have all my answers, you know, all my questions answered, I'm going to take action. And that action can look small action, big action, just take some sort of action and, and invest. I think that all of the investors that I know, their only regret is not investing sooner. And so, um, you know, go ahead and, and take that big leap of faith. Yeah, that's awesome. It's true. It's true. If we could, if we could all go back in time and invest in 2010, uh, we would be, <laughs> we'd be in a really good place right now. So yes. um, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show, uh, sharing your story. I really enjoyed this conversation and appreciate having you. Yeah, thank you, Jason. I had a lot of fun. Awesome. And folks listening, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of value from this episode. Please uh, connect with Paula. We'll have everything in the show notes. And please like, rate, and review the show so we can get more great guests like Paula. Thank you all for listening. Hey there. I am Dr. Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast, where we explore the why behind success. Every week, I meet with real estate investors, veterinary entrepreneurs, mindset coaches, authors, and fitness professionals to uncover their why and how it drives them on the winding road to success. What is your why?